Well, hello to everyone watching today. If you haven't met me before, my name's Donovan, along with my wife Heidi and a brilliant team of elders. Uh, I get to give leadership to Common Ground Constantiaberg. Uh, Heidi and I have just celebrated 10 years of marriage at the end of June, so uh, lots of celebrations. I'm just so grateful to God for uh, my wife, for the beautiful family that he's given me. And then this past Monday, I got to celebrate my birthday, so uh, 44 and picking up some speed on that downhill. But uh, all in all, amidst the challenges of the third wave, COVID, new lockdowns, uh, there's been a lot to celebrate and be grateful for in the Miller household. And of course, I'm so excited to be here today to share God's word with you. I had that incredible experience this week. I don't know if you've ever had it. When you read a piece of scripture that you've read so many times before, and all of a sudden you see something that you've never noticed. It's amazing how that happens with the Bible, with the scriptures. There's just so much profound truth and depth to the Bible. I'm so excited that I get to share that with you today. If you've been tracking with us, we're in the Gospel of Mark. We're discovering who Jesus is and and how that impacts our lives. And today we find ourselves right at the end of chapter 11. We're going to look at just six verses. And the title for my message is A Question of Jesus' Authority. It's actually such a brilliant thing for us to be looking at right now. I mean, one of the things that COVID has taught me, has shown me, is that I'm not as in control of my life as I'd like to think. In fact, it's absolutely shattered that illusion. I mean, so many times we like to think that we're actually able to control our lives, that we're able to manipulate outcomes. And actually COVID's helped us to see that there are so many things that are way beyond our control. And I'll tell you what, it's left me grateful that I'm a Christ follower. To know that there's a a greater authority than me giving me perspective, leadership, and bringing light into my life. Maybe you're listening and you're not yet a Christ follower. I wonder if you've thought about who or what has authority in your life. Are you the greatest authority that you have to give you perspective, leadership, to bring light into your life? And let me ask you, knowing yourself and your shortcomings, is that a good thing? Is it culture? Society or current thinking, current values, current trends that hold sway and authority over your life. Maybe you've never stopped to even think about it. Well, I hope today's message has something to say to you. What I want to do this, uh, today is I want to read through the text. I want to talk us through it. It's just such a fascinating exchange. Then I want to draw out four points of application or implication for us that are, that are really, really practical and impact our lives. Okay, so let's make our way through the text. Let me give you a bit of context. We're in Mark 11, right at the end. It's the week before the crucifixion. And so things are starting to hot up as we track Jesus's life. Uh, The story's starting to climax. And adding to the intensity of, of all of this is that we find ourselves in Jerusalem with the temple and all its rich religious significance. And then the city is starting to fill up as many Jews make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And of course, many of these Jews coming into Jerusalem would know about Jesus, either through their own experience or by word of mouth. And then things have really ramped up in terms of intensity because Jesus has just cleansed the temple. 
He walked into the temple while he was teaching and in a dramatic and very visible way, he overturned tables of those that were doing business, that were changing money or selling livestock in the temple courts. And he corrects them with these stern words. It is, is it not written, my house is to be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. It's so in your face, it sparks so much fear in the religious leaders of the day that they decide that Jesus has to be stopped. So you can sense the atmosphere. Things are building. We're in the Holy City. We're in the temple area and the people are divided around this man, Jesus. So we get to our verses, verse 27. It says, they arrived again in Jerusalem. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you authority to do this? Let me just make some comments quickly. The first thing to note here is, is sometimes we can miss who this group of people are that come to confront Jesus. I mean, these are the chief priests, teachers of the law, and the elders. This is a group of 71 people called the Sanhedrin. It's the highest Jewish legal authority in the land. They are the religious heavyweights, the best, brightest, and most influential Jews that there are. And their big question to Jesus, who the heck do you think you are? I mean, just imagine for a second, you've got this carpenter, from this backwater town of Bethlehem, being confronted by, this, by 71 of the most learned and respected Jews standing in the shadow of the temple. I mean, it's just crazy. And they're saying, who do you think you are? Who gives you the authority to act like this? Who sent you? And of course, as we'll see in, in the texts to come, here's what makes this question that they asked Jesus so tricky. Because if Jesus answered, well, I'm here by God's authority, it would be blasphemy and they would have grounds to arrest him and even put him to death. But if Jesus answered and said, hey, I've come to rescue and restore Israel, they can hand him over to the Roman authorities. And so really it's a lose-lose scenario for Jesus. Okay, well, let's keep reading our text, verse 29. So Jesus replied, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men, tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Well, this is God's word and may he nourish us today as he's nourished Christ followers for centuries. Now we need to get into this a little bit because I don't think Jesus could have asked a more pertinent or searching question than asking them about John the Baptist. And after discussing the possible answers for a time and, and sharing all their knowledge, they, they come up with their response and they say, if we answer from heaven, then they would be endorsing Jesus' ministry because John the Baptist endorsed Jesus' ministry. And so if they, if they believed that John was from God, they would accept Jesus. But if they, if they said it was from men, then they, they were afraid of the masses because the, the masses had received John's ministry as from God. And so they too were caught in a difficult place. So they refused to answer. And so Jesus refuses to answer them. Now, 
truth be told, this is kind of as deep as I've ever seen uh, truth in this text. You know, it's kind of like in a display of intellectual prowess. Jesus exposes their hearts and wins the arguments. And that's kind of where it ends. But, but as I've studied for today and as I've got into the text, I've, I've seen something deeper and something stunning about this text. What Jesus is actually doing when he asks them about John the Baptist, he's not merely silencing them. It's actually an invitation for them to reflect on and receive his authority. Jesus is offering them that opportunity to perceive for themselves who he is. It's actually an act of kindness and mercy, not just confrontation. Let me explain. Remember, Jesus is dealing with the religious elite. They would know all about the scriptures. They would know all about John the Baptist and and Jesus and all that's been happening in and around the countryside. And there's three things in particular that they would know about John the Baptist that would help them understand and perceive Jesus' authority. Firstly, they would know about the prophecies of Isaiah that speak about someone that would come before the Messiah to prepare the way. More than just knowing about this prophecy, they would be expectant for this person to come. Now listen to how Mark records Jesus. This is the opening verses of Mark chapter one. It says, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the deserts, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So they would have known about these prophecies and and being expected. Secondly, they would know that John the Baptist had a really significant ministry, that something radical had happened, that God was at work. That text goes on to say in verse five, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to meet him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Okay, so the whole city of Jerusalem and the surrounding regions went down to the Jordan to get baptized by John in preparation for the Messiah. I mean, this is not an insignificant ministry. This is not happening in obscurity. I mean, there was a radical movement of God amongst the people. And and they would have known that. And then thirdly, they would have known that at the baptism of Jesus, there was an audible voice from heaven affirming the life and ministry of Jesus. Verse seven of Mark one, it says, and this was his message. After me will come more powerful than I, the thongs of his sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven uh, torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. I mean, they would have known all of these occurrences and here's what I'm getting at. If these religious elites had just stopped and taken some time to seriously consider what was happening around them, to seriously consider the ministry of John the Baptist, they may well have come to see and understand and perceive the true authority of Jesus. He gave them an opportunity to perceive it. If they acknowledge what had happened through the ministry of John the Baptist, they would be able to acknowledge the authority of Jesus, but they don't. 
the real tragedy here is that instead of honestly discussing and, and grappling with and discerning the validity of Jesus' question, they discuss the consequences of their various actions, of the answers they could give in a moment. They're not really seeking truth. They're simply trying to manipulate circumstances to serve their own interests. Ultimately, they suppress the truth and their answer, we don't know. And so Jesus dismisses them. If you cannot and are unwilling to perceive the ministry of John, you'll be unwilling to perceive and receive me. You see, time and time again, Jesus had reached out to these religious leaders, but they're blinded by their own self-interest and limited perspective. And so ultimately, the takeaway from this narrative is that Jesus has ultimate authority and is in fact Lord of all, sent by God the Father. Yet the religious leaders refuse to accept his authority. And so Jesus refuses them. What an incredible narrative. What a crazy story. What a confrontation. And to think that the whole time Jesus was, was acting mercifully and, and with kindness and offering opportunity for them to see who he truly was. Well, what I want to spend the rest of our time together doing is looking at some of the implications for our lives today. You see, much like the religious leaders, we, we either get to receive, accept, or reject the authority of Jesus. And so what I want to do, I want to speak to Christ followers, both new and old. And for those of you who may not consider yourselves Christ followers, actually, let me start there. Let me start. Uh, if, you, if you're listening in and you're not yet a Christ follower, uh, great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Now, I'm not sure where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, but I want to commend you and say, well done for being on this journey. I don't think there's a more important journey that you'll ever go on in your life than trying to discover who Jesus is. You know, C.S. Lewis is an author and a philosopher. He says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So here's an example of what I mean. Let's look at an exchange. Look at an exchange between uh, Jesus and Thomas in John 14. It goes like this. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So in this exchange, Jesus is claiming to be the only way to salvation, the only way to restoration with the Father, the only absolute truth, the only true life. And if you look at this through the lens of C.S. Lewis, this is extremely important and critical for your life or it's of absolutely no value whatsoever. In fact, if it's of no value whatsoever, you should probably be concerned about your Christ-following friends who are giving themselves to something that is just so irrelevant to their lives. You know, there's no middle ground when it comes to Jesus. You can't really be mildly interested in him or partially committed to Jesus. There's no real fence to sit on. Like with those religious leaders, I want to say to you today that I believe Jesus is inviting you to see his authority, to see him for, he tr for who he truly is. He's inviting, he's inviting you to see that Jesus was sent by God and ultimately chose to lay down his life to redeem, rescue, and restore you. 
to pay the price for your, your disobedience and your neglect of your creator. To restore you to relationship and intimacy with your heavenly father and to offer you life and life to the full by restoring you to your purpose and original mandate as a human being in this world. Hey, maybe you're not yet ready to, to respond. Maybe you're not re yet ready to, to answer this invitation. Well, I wanna invite you to keep looking, to keep exploring, keep considering the claims of Jesus. One of the ways you can do that is keep joining us as we work through the book of Mark and continue to listen in to our messages and join our meetings. I wanna encourage you to, to delve into the firsthand accounts of the life of Jesus through the first four books of the New Testament. And then, and then I encourage you to, to pray and ask God to reveal himself to you. But maybe as I'm speaking, some of you are ready to receive Jesus. You are ready to take this invitation. You know, Hebrews encourages us not to delay. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I was 16 years old when I, when I heard this voice, this invitation from Jesus and surrendered to him by faith. I realize that there's more to life than what I'm currently experiencing and, and what I have achieved or what I can do. That somehow there is a God and I don't know him personally. That there is a love, there's a purpose, there's a belonging that I need that I, I'm not able to experience in this fallen world. I realize that God loved me and through his life, his death and his resurrection, he had made a way for me to receive all these things my heart longed for. Well, that was in 1994. And as I've continued to surrender to his authority, I can honestly say that God has not disappointed me. He's loved, cared for, and nurtured me all these years. He's formed, taught, and at times when necessary, disciplined me. He's empowered and enabled me to live a life of true meaning and purpose, taking me beyond a simple success and actually leading me to a life of true significance. He's healed my wounds. He's bound up my broken heart. He's set my feet upon a rock upon which he is building a life that can endure the storms that life throws at me. And I know he wants to do the same for you. I wonder if Jesus has been reaching out to you. Has he been calling you home? You know, the truth is often God can use difficult, tumultuous times like we're living in now to, to move us beyond the material, to see beyond the temporary, temporary nature of our, of our limited worlds. And so I wanna ask you today, I wanna encourage you today, don't be like those who harden their hearts. When you hear the invitation of Christ, receive his love. I'm gonna pray for you if that's you right at the end of this message. Okay, let me take uh, some time to speak to those of us who are already Christ followers. Three implications for us around the, the question of Jesus' authority in our lives. Firstly, I wanna speak about our approach to God's word. Let me just be direct with you. Let me ask you straight. Does the word of God truly have authority over your life? Or are you in danger of taking a bit of a buffet approach to the Bible? You know what a buffet is, right? There's a lot of food options, but you don't have to eat all of them. You get to choose what you want. And you know, we can kind of bring this attitude with us to the scriptures. You know, salvation and forgiveness. Yep, I'll definitely take some of that. Experiencing the love of God, double scoop, sounds good. Sexual purity, mm, no. Tithing, 
definitely no. Seeing justice done, yeah, absolutely. I can get behind that. You know, that's how we can live our lives. That's how we can approach the Bible. But here's the thing. If Jesus truly is Lord of all, then we need to be ready to submit to his authoritative word recorded for us in the Bible. I mean, listen to these powerful words that Paul speaks to Timothy as he prepares him for, for ministry. This is 2 Timothy 4. It says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to seat their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. I mean, the warning in the scripture speaks so powerfully and effectively to our time in history. I mean, with all of our access to knowledge and to teachers and teaching, we can become quite sophisticated in how we gather uh, different kinds of teachings from different teachers that can end up just justifying why we ultimately don't simply submit to God's word. You know, well, well these guys say that and this group of people, they're on the other side or you know, this sits well with me or, or that doesn't sit so well with me. So I'm going with, with that guy on this or this guy on that. Yeah, yeah, that's all fine. But what does the word of God say? What does Jesus say? What's in his recorded words? The truth is as Christ follows, we're in danger of spending too much time looking at and listening to various teachers, messages, blogs, videos, and books that we don't end up spending enough time simply in the word of God itself. Hey, if this describes you, if you feel like I'm describing you, make a mid-course correction right away. From right now, decide to spend more time in God's word. And, and then what is your attitude towards God's word? Have you settled in your heart that, that the Bible is God's word and has complete authority over your life? Even if you struggle with it, even if it's unpopular in culture, even if it pushes up against some of our appetites and longings, even if it seems out of touch in a moment, are you ready to submit to God's word because it is authoritative over your life? Have you decided to not keep playing around with God's word or trying to manipulate it or try and make it to work so that, that you can keep doing whatever it is you want to do and follow your desires? Have you decided to rather say yes to God's desires? Remember, James reminds us that we shouldn't just be hearing the word. We should be doing it. We should be surrendered to it, implementing it into our lives. So a challenge for you, if you're a new believer, you've just started following Jesus, I want to say to you, start feasting on God's word. There's a couple of tools that can help you figure out our website. There might even be a link in this video. You can get an Ignite booklet. It's a brilliant way to, to start the journey of getting into the scriptures, and I can highly recommend it. You can find a Bible reading plan on the YouTube app. Chat to someone who's been following Jesus for some time and ask them to help you get into God's word and then decide in your heart to submit to what it is you discover in God's word. Maybe you've been following Jesus for some time. Maybe you're a seasoned Christ follower. To you, I wanna say, stay feasting on God's word. 
Don't be content to keep drinking milk as Hebrew warns us, but push on to maturity as you surrender and submit to the authority of God's word over your life. Stay as ready to respond to God's worth and God's truth as you did when you first believed. And particularly in this season of disrupted rhythms and changing uh, seasons, don't neglect the daily or very regular reading of God's scripture. We need to be reading it, reflecting on it, and then responding in prayer to God as we surrender to his authority. So guys, when it comes to God's word, find a place, put aside a time, get a plan together, and even a friend or two, and get started. Okay, second to last, uh, an implication for Christ followers to Jesus' authority is for me to ask you, will you believe in God's promises. I'm really trusting God to minister to some of you in these moments. The truth is so much of our quality of life is negatively impacted because we let our emotions run our lives instead of surrendering to God's authority. Some of you might be listening to this at home and you might be feeling completely alone. You might be feeling deserted. You might be feeling isolated, that, that no one understands, that no one knows what you're going through, that no one is in your circumstances. You know, even in a crowd, even in a family, there can be a deep loneliness that exists. Maybe you're longing for love and companionship and, you, and you're really struggling. Well, the word of God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You may feel alone, but you're not. And really, you've got a decision to make. Are you going to follow your emotions or place your life under the authority of Jesus and believe in his word? You might be sitting there crippled with shame. Maybe you've done something terrible. You know, you've confessed your sin, but you're still weighed down by guilt and you feel dirty and unforgiven. But, but it's not true. The Bible says if we confess our sins that he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That he says he forgives our sin as far as the east is from the west. That's how far I've removed your sin from you. Will you believe the word of God? You could say, oh, but I feel guilty. Well, all I can say to you, it doesn't matter how you feel. It matters what Jesus said. And he said he's forgiven you. And he said he's cleansing you. This is what God's word says. You may be feeling spiritually stuck, like, like you can't grow or, you, or you're feeling like you're unable to mature. Maybe you're in some kind of a, a spiritual cul-de-sac and you're not sure that you can find your way out. Well, the word of God says that Jesus promises to bring to completion the work he's begun in you that he's at work to will in you to work and will according to his good pleasure. You aren't stuck. You may be listening and feeling weak and broken, like you're just unable to do anything useful. Well, listen to this from 2 Corinthians 1. It says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You're not helpless because God is at work. The word of God says, my power is made perfect or complete in your weakness. Will you believe 
and place yourself under the authority of Jesus, under the authority of God's word instead of how you feel. I'm not saying we need to ignore or dismiss our emotions at all. But Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says, much of our unhappiness is because we listen, we listen to ourselves more than we speak to ourselves. You, know, you wake up in the morning feeling overwhelmed, uh, feeling these things I've been described and we reinforce them and we speak to ourselves about them. What I wanna say, it's time for us to start punching back using the word of God. You may feel condemned, but God's word says there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You may feel worthless, but God says in Colossians that you are God's chosen and dearly loved. You may feel like you can't forgive others, but, but the Bible says if God can forgive you, you can forgive others. What God's word says about you is infinitely more important than what you think about you. Okay, lastly, and this is a quick one. When it comes to God's authority, do you welcome his correction? Now listen, correction is never pleasant while we're in it. Often it's painful and, and difficult and we have to kind of grit through it. But this is how God shows his love for us. Again, I'm gonna read a scripture. I know I've done a lot of it. In Hebrews 12 verse seven, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons or daughters. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. When God disciplines us, when he calls us to more, when he calls us out of sin, when he calls us out of negative happens, he's pruning us not as a, as a sign that we are legitimate children of God, Honestly, the worst thing God can do is simply leave us to get on with it. Romans 1 makes it very clear that the very worst thing God can do is simply hand us over to our sins. Hey, you might be, you might be in a space where that sounds like a great idea. Actually, just let me get on with what I wanna get on with. Well, the Bible makes it clear. That's the very worst thing God can do. When God intervenes, it's an expression of mercy, grace, and love. And when we allow ourselves to be trained by it, we're gonna, we're gonna feel producing us this righteousness and peace. So let me ask you, are you embracing Christ's authority in your life? Have you surrendered to him? Or are you so caught up in the implications of your decisions, just like the Sanhedrin, that you've hardened your heart to the king of all? Perhaps it's time for us to freshly get on our knees in front of Jesus to recognize his authority and to freshly worship and surrender to him. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for its power to, to convict and to transform and to renew us. And we wanna recognize its authority, your authority over our lives. God, I recognize this morning that you're calling some to place their faith in you for the very first time. 
that's you as you were listening uh, today, I want to invite you to, to simply pray a prayer. It's not a magical prayer. It's not a magical formula. But as we surrender our lives to Jesus, we want to do a few things. One, we want to, want to recognize that he is God. We want to recognize that we need him. We want to recognize that he has paid the price of, for our sin and our neglect of our creator God through dying on the cross. That in his death, he died not only for the sins of the world, but for our sins, for your sins. And as we receive his death by faith, that we experience forgiveness and and being reunited with God. And then we want to invite God to, to teach us, to renew us, to fill us with his spirit. So you can pray a prayer along those lines, those lines. Pray along with me if you want. Father God, thank you that you've revealed yourself to me today, that you've been revealing yourself to me. God, I recognize my need for you. God, I receive the death of Jesus as my salvation as the payment for my sin. And God, I place myself by faith into Jesus. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. Thank you, God, for restoring me in relationship with you. And God, I want to invite you to continue to reveal yourself to me. Continue to teach me who you are. Continue to transform and shape me that you would fill me with your spirit. Amen. Well, if you pray to pray like that, uh, th there'll be a link in the description where you can find that Ignite book that I spoke about. Uh, you can get in touch with the church or, or speak to someone who you know is a Christ follower. Tell them that's what's happened to you. But I was actually mid-prayer and I broke out. So let me, let me continue to pray for those of us who are Christ followers. Father God, for, for those of us who call on your name, who are sons and daughters of yours, pray God that we would freshly surrender to your authority that all that we heard today, God, that you would cause us to put it into action, that you would stir our hearts and stir our spirits, God. We thank you for your leadership. We thank you for your authority. We thank you that you're a, a good, good father. We worship you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a fantastic day, guys.